1: Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. So we're going to continue, at least for tonight, in our series of studies on the subject of wisdom. And then when the time's right, we'll go back to Matthew and we'll, we'll pick up our red letter studies. But we began the study last week. Some were not here. We may get a couple stragglers come in late. But we began, we opened up the study last week on the subject of wisdom Because that's something we want to increase in, isn't it? I never knew anybody, at least not speaking in a mature and in a right mind, uh, say that I want to be more foolish. Uh, I want to be less wise. I want to make stupid decisions all throughout my life. And I want to reap all of the painful consequences as a result of that. I've never known anybody who thought that way. Never known anyone who's spoken that way. And last week... We sort of springboarded off of a chapter two verse and then we went into chapter one and began our teaching in earnest. But we we used as a springboard chapter two, verse 10, where Solomon says, when wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee and understanding shall keep thee. And now the the statement continues for several verses after that. But in greater detail but these first two verses verses 10 and 11 of this statement it's actually a paragraph that begins there really kind of focuses your understanding on that it's only when wisdom enters into your heart and it's only that when knowledge is pleasant to your soul that discretion is going to preserve you and that understanding will keep you does that make sense and a lot of people have absolutely no discretion because they have no taste for wisdom. And there are people that are that are completely without understanding because knowledge is not pleasant to their soul. They're more interested in other things. They're more interested in NFL stats or they're more in, not that I'm condemning that. OK, but they're more interested in that or they're more interested in being able to work on a junk car or they're more interested in pursuing a hobby or or, or some other course in life, they're more interested in certain things that while they may not be necessarily sinful, they could very easily and rightly be categorized as at least vain. And what I mean by vain is its, it's truest meaning, which is its biblical meaning, futile. Something that is of no eternal value. I remember years ago, growing up in the 80s, seeing a movie, there was a line in this movie, where a woman asked another woman, in a hundred years, who's going to care? Now, when I first saw that movie, that question didn't have any meaning to me whatsoever. I didn't get the greater context of it. It dawned on me a lot later. In a hundred years, who's going to care? Think about the things that you devote your time and your affections and your anxieties on, your concerns, your worries. Think about the things that you spend your time and your resources on. Think about the things that you spend your money on in a hundred years. Is there going to be anything to show for them? That's a good question to ask yourself every now and again. Will this matter in a hundred years or in a hundred years? Is this just going to be some note in uh, on a review in a file cabinet somewhere or on some server in a server farm somewhere? Is what I'm doing is how I'm living now going to matter? Will have any lasting impact In a hundred years time, because you have to remember and we often do remember it. You don't come to this church without being reminded of your mortality. We've only got a few decades to live, don't we? Just a few decades. And from every report I've ever heard from anyone beyond a certain age, they all say the same thing. The older you get, the faster it goes by the faster that time seems to fly. And I know that that's a trick of perception. Time is a constant, or at least how we measure it. But to the mind that's perceiving something, perception is everything, isn't it? You know how slow time went when you were six years old? You measured it in Christmases and summer vacations, didn't you? That was what your whole life revolved around. When is the next I'm getting out of school? And time crawled by. You became a master clock watcher in public school. least I did. okay. but then as you got older, time seemed to move a little bit more rapidly and then a bit more rapidly. I'm in my mid 40s now. Moves faster for me now than it ever has. And I know it's going to move faster when I'm in my mid 60s. Who knows? Goes quick. So you've only got a few years to live. So let's do as the Bible tells us to. And let's our let's apply our hearts to wisdom. Wisdom. Now in chapter 4, we're going to use a different verse for tonight's springboard, okay? Chapter 4, verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not. Speaking about wisdom, he personifies her, and we'll talk about that more here in a few minutes. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. And we'll stop right there, go back to chapter 1. Now Solomon, in his writings, you have to remember who Solomon was. Solomon, we, you know, he was the second, no, third king of Israel, second in the dynasty of the house of David. He was the king of Israel and he was endowed by God Almighty from on high with a divine and almost supernatural wisdom. His wisdom was known. He was renowned for it and his reputation for wisdom spread throughout the entire region such that I believe it was the the queen of Sheba who traveled all the way from Africa, parts in Africa, to hear the wisdom of Solomon and he began to demonstrate it very early in his reign and so he spoke the vast majority of these proverbs and they were comp- they were compiled into this volume and so as we give ourselves to the study of it and we take them to heart let us let these proverbs. Speak to us on a very deep and instinctive level. Now, last week, we covered the introduction to the book of Proverbs, which just sort of well introduced us to it and brought us uh, brought us brought to us an understanding of what it's for and why it's good. And then we spent pretty much the whole teaching in verse seven of chapter one, where he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the very beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so we focused a lot on that last part on on fools and why they despise wisdom and instruction and and, and how that actually is their defining characteristic. It's what makes a fool a fool. We tied that into Matthew chapter five, where Jesus speaking to his disciples warned them and said, you know whosoever saith to his brother and then he used a, it was either Arabic or an Aramaic word Raqqa it was an insult basically mean you're a hopeless loser. that's pretty much what Raqqa means that's to Americanize it quite a bit but he said whosoever calls his brother Raqqa or you're a hopeless loser shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire and so that really kind of gives you an idea how serious an insult calling someone a fool is. It's a very very serious thing to call someone, especially if you have knowledge of what that means. And that calling someone a fool is basically telling them that they are that they are hopelessly without understanding and that they are a buffoon beyond all words and that there is no chance that they will ever learn. That's harsh. To put it lightly, it's very harsh to call someone by that name. And so that's something you don't ever want to call your brother or sister in Christ. Jesus makes that clear in Matthew chapter five. But why was that? Why was that the case? Well, we encounter that word here in verse seven of chapter one, where he says fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, isn't that what makes them fools? When you try to teach someone, you try to show someone, you try to bring them to the knowledge, bring them to knowledge and understanding of that knowledge because knowledge alone is just data. It's information in your head. But when that knowledge is understood, it's comprehended. Well, then, then it becomes something much more akin to wisdom, which works at a very deep and instinctive level. Wisdom and intelligence, not the same thing. Wisdom and knowledge, not purely the same thing. I saw it recently in a, in a, another It was in a hierarchical diagram about where wisdom abides in that. And it's actually at the highest levels. And at the lowest level is is just raw data. It's a four step hierarchy about uh, things progressing from data to information to knowledge to wisdom. Wisdom is when it's actually become a part of you. It's become part not only of what you know, but of how you think. And this is across the board of life, this. This involves so many things. The subject of wisdom touches on much. And now in this study, we're going to try to be careful not to overemphasize wisdom and to make of it a God, okay? because then we just become Gnostics because they were all about the worship of knowledge and the worship of wisdom. And the Greeks in their ancient culture were obsessed with wisdom and things like that. But when we when we embrace wisdom in its biblically intended perspective, when we embrace wisdom biblically and the God of wisdom, and we remember who is the source of all wisdom, well, then that's when this stuff can really benefit us. Because when we remember who is the giver of wisdom. So let's read on in verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Now, those aren't chains of bondage, okay? Those aren't chains of uh, restrictiveness. These aren't things that are intended to bind you and restrict you as far as what you do in life. It's, a, it's an ornament. It's an ornament. He even Because you get that context from the first part of the verse. He says, For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. And let me tell you something, that's the finest kind of ornament that a person can wear. Is not the gaudy, shiny metal and stone things that they sell you at a ridiculously escalated price up at the mall. The finest ornament that can be worn by a person or one of the two or three finest ornaments that can be worn by a person is an ornament of wisdom. And that's why the Bible speaks so highly of gray hair, doesn't it? He says that or it speaks it it in a couple of different places, he tells younger people, he says to them, rise up before the hoary head. And that means the white haired head. Rise up before it as a gesture of respect and of honor, even reverence, not within an an idolatrous way, but reverence as far as this person has lived longer than me. They know more than me just by sheer volume of their experience. And it says in another place that uh, that gray hair, white hair, whatever, the aged head, that's a crown of glory for a person. It really is. And so you see older folks that try to dye that stuff and hide it. It's like, why are you doing that? It's a losing fight, right? He says, rise up before the hoary head. And he says that uh, gray hair, white hair, these things, they're a crown of glory. They really are. And that's just a physical manifestation. And yes, there's, it's not a given. There are a lot. There, there's there's old people in the world with gray hair that really don't have any wisdom. So it's not always a guarantee. But it generally is an indicator that they've lived through things. And just because of how much they've lived, they know things that you don't. No matter how smart you may be, because again, wisdom and intelligence have nothing to do with one another. There are people that are sharp as they have minds like 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 uh, they have minds like, like steel traps. And they'll blow an IQ test out of the water. Rate very, very, very high. In the top 1 to 4% of the population of their community. But it doesn't guarantee that they have wisdom. It just means that they're smart. Smarts, intelligence, the hallmark of those things is the ability to make associations in your mind. And so that can serve you very well. But it can also be a pride trap. Wisdom knows better than to get proud. Wisdom knows better. Because wisdom has learned a lot of things the hard way. He's learned a lot of things the hard way. So he says here in verses 8 and 9, hear the instruction of your father, don't forsake the law of your mother. Why? Because the instruction of your father and the law of your mother, these things will be an ornament of grace to thy head and, and chains about thy neck. Good things because they'll preserve you and they'll keep you. When your dad said, don't run with the troublemakers because they're going to get you into trouble with the law, and you took your dad's advice, well, that was an ornament of grace upon your head and chains about thy neck, and they they beautified you because they kept you out of trouble. Didn't they? And there are many other examples could be used, but it's the first that comes to mind. Now, verse 10, he continues, My son... If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. Stop there. It's like, well, that sounds like it'd be something terrible to participate in. Yes, but you have to remember, these types of people are very real. So people aren't like that, are they? Yes, they are. They're called thugs. They're called gang members, riffraff, hooligans, all kinds of different words for people that are like this. And they're not always young, are they? No, you got a few old ones like this, too. They're usually in jail but a lot of times they're in and out of jail and you might meet him on the outside on the outside but what he's saying to his son is don't go with people like this don't run with people like this don't run with people of a of a violent nature whose feet are swift to run to shed blood and whose hands are quick to shed blood and whose mouths are quick to to cursing and to vile speech and to things like that so he says in verse 11 Verse 10, excuse me, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And then he reinforces it in verse 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. And then he says, why? For their feet, their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. What's that mean? That almost sounds like a non sequitur, but it's not, okay? Because he's describing thugs and hooligans and people that, that are basically lawless and run amok in society. He's telling them what, he's telling his son what happens to people like that. First, how they work. They lie in wait in secret. Because they know that it's, uh, it's, to lay a snare in the sight of a bird is vain because they see the trap and then they avoid it. I went goose hunting one time, once. Went goose hunting many years ago. And they taught us we went out into this frozen lake kind of area and we hid among the reeds that were poking up out of the frozen lake. And when the geese started coming, there was a guy who was leading the hunt. And there was a group of us of, I don't know, maybe six or seven. I don't remember exactly how many there were. But when the geese came into sight, the, the, the guide told us, uh, the leader of the of the hunting expedition, if you will, I, I don't know what else to call it, and it makes it sound a lot grander than it was, told us to uh, lay down with our faces toward the ground because the geese can recognize faces. They don't recognize who you are, but they can recognize that it's a potential threat, and then they won't land. They'll just... They'll, uh, they'll, they'll fly overhead and they may even uh, veer off to one side or the other, but they'll avoid getting shot by you is what will happen. So you had to hide yourself because if you lay your snare out there, this is almost diabolical. We're giving you, giving you instructions on how to destroy people's lives. That's not really what we're trying to do. But he said that's what they do. That's what these lawless people do. And so he said, don't run with them. And then he even goes further and says why in verse 18. Verse 18. They, wait and lay, they, they lay in wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. What's that mean? The evil that they do comes back around and bites them eventually. It always does. It always does. There was an old radio show that I used to love, not because was, I used to hear it in podcasts, is where I heard it, but it was popular back in the mid 20th century. Philip Marlowe, Private Eye. Anybody here remember that name? Seriously? Okay, fine. I guess that's all me. But in the radio show, in the radio show, he had an intro that said, uh, crime is a sucker's road. And those that follow it wind up in the, they, oh, how did he say, they wind up in the prison, the gutter, or the grave. And that's so true. It always comes back around. Just like karma, only it's divine instead of uh, impersonal like fate. It's sowing and reaping. And that's what Solomon was telling his son. And that's what Solomon and the Holy Spirit are telling us here. If you run with people like that, and I don't think that anyone here is trying to do that. But here it is. It's wisdom for us and it paves the way for his later teachings. He said they lay in wait for their own blood, and they lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Why did he say all of this? Because it might seem to us who are born again to be self-evident, right? Well, I wasn't really planning on running with uh, hijackers and car thieves and bank robbers and drug runners, I wasn't really planning on joining the Sons of Silence or some other biker gang, you know, that was involved in nefarious activity. Understood, but also understand why. So that when you raise your children, you can instruct them why. And you can use wisdom and grant them understanding rather than just nailing them down on all sides with a battery of rules. Rules are good, okay? but discernment and understanding are better because then the rules are understood and they are not chafed against and resented. The person with understanding and the person with uh, with discernment will rarely ever resent the rules because they understand the wisdom in them. And that's when they say, sure I'm glad that I'm living that way. Sure I'm glad that I'm living that way and that I'm respecting the rules because it is saving me from so much trouble. Now let's move on to the next things. <coughs> it's really what I wanted to get to tonight, it begins in verse 20. Solomon says, Wisdom crieth without. It means on the outside she's crying, okay? Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. Now let's stop right there. Right off the bat, Solomon begins to personify wisdom. And he personifies her as a woman. He personifies wisdom as though she were a woman. So well, why did, she, why did he choose a woman? Well, there's a, there's a couple of different theories that I have on that. If I could just share a couple of theories, don't take this as gospel truth. Okay. But why does he represent wisdom as a woman? Well, maybe for one reason, so that wisdom will be more attractive to people, right? Just a thought. But also because women tend to think at a more instinctive level than men do. Men tend to think on a more analytical level. And I know that this, strays, this threatens to stray a little bit further into uh, psychology than, than I really want to. But we'll just touch on it and come back to this. Men tend to be more interested as a rule. Men tend to be more interested in things. Women tend to be more interested in people. It's just it's it's kind of how our psychologies have sorted themselves out and how we've always manifested these things um, over the thousands of years of our existence. But women tend to think at a more instinctive and an intuitive level. That's why it's where we get phrases like a woman's intuition. You've heard of that. Well, it's a woman's intuition. They tend to have hunches. They tend to have a. Uh, Sort of an innate kind of knowledge, feelings that are intuited that often turn out to be right, although they may not always be able to articulate them with convincing language. It's, it's something that operates, and sometimes they can, but it's something that operates deeply within them, and that's exactly where the realm of wisdom is. It operates at that dink, at that deep instinctive and intuitive level and now you can extract knowledge out of that and then you can codify things and write down things as to why something may be wise but that you know that's kind of going in that that's i don't want to say that's going in reverse order to get the knowledge first and then transform that into wisdom that's going in the opposite direction now either way works but he says wisdom crieth without she uttereth her voice in the streets she crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scornings, and the fools hate knowledge. Have you ever known anyone like that? You ever met anyone like that? You tried to speak to them about something deeper than the superficial, you try to talk to them about their soul, or you try to talk to them about God, or maybe it wasn't even a spiritual discussion. It was just a discussion about, hey, what are you doing with your life? What are are you doing with your time? What are you making of yourself? What kind of a life are you building for yourself by the decisions that you're making? And they don't want to have that discussion with you at all. They don't want to have that talk with you at all whatsoever whatsoever. If it's, again, if it's not NFL stats, they're not interested. And I don't know why my mind keeps going to that. Because I'm I'm not picking on football fans. I'm really not. I don't have anything against football fans. Well, I don't have anything against football. You know, the culture can be a little tiresome sometimes when that's all that anyone ever talks about. But when you try to talk to them about something... Of import, something that's going to have an eternal impact or a permanent impact on their life, they don't want to have that conversation. Why is that? Well, these people, wisdom describes as simple. Simple. She says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? Now, she's not condemning simplicity as far as simplicity of life, having a simple manner of life, uh, having simple interests necessarily. What she's condemning or what she's crying out against is people that are so simple minded that they they can't think more than a day or two ahead. And their thoughts and their plannings and their ambitions go no further than their next paycheck or what they can get or what they can gain, what they can consume, what they can enjoy. And then it's on to the next thing after that. There's no planning There's no learning, as Moses said, there's no learning how to number our days and to apply our hearts to wisdom. There's none of that. And for people that are in that state of immaturity, because it is an immature mind that's there, okay? And I'm not being insulting. We're just stating the natural stages of life. It's for people that are in that state of immaturity that they are are not given to wisdom and to learning what is wise and learning what is destructive and the only way that they're going to learn something is the hard way. Well, they might learn some book learning. There's like four ways to learn something. We were talking about this in the in the satellite Bible study earlier today over at Whispering Chase. There's four ways to learn something. You know, there's there's learning by hearing. And then there's learning by reading. And then there's learning by the experiences of someone else. And then there's learning by your own experiences. You know, and so those might follow a certain progression, which is better than any of the others. All right, well, they're all good because at least you learn. And certainly none of us wants to be the fool, the one who doesn't learn. So she says again, how long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. You see that probably manifested more than anywhere else in the comment sections and forums on the Internet. You see a lot of scorning, and you see a lot of people hating knowledge. I mean, a lot of it. And it is it is it is visceral and it is it's vicious. It really is. Verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit into you. I will make known my words unto you. This is wisdom's promise to us by God. This is wisdom's promise to us if we will value her if we will accept and embrace her and seek her and again we'll we'll repeat something from last week's teaching about uh, from from James I believe it was James chapter 1 thereabouts where he says that if any of you lack wisdom let him ask god who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not Wisdom. Now, it might seem like we're talking a lot about wisdom and not really sharing much of wisdom, but hold on. We're only two teachings into this. Let's see where this takes us. okay? and we're teaching this all out of Scripture. Let me tell you what wisdom will do for you. According to the word of God. Wisdom will preserve you, will preserve you from what? will preserve you from making bad decisions and will help inform you on what a good decision is to come off of something maybe once you, or how to fix something once you've made a bad decision. Wisdom will preserve you. He says that in chapter 2, verse 10. Or verse 11, excuse me. And understanding will keep you as well. Wisdom and understanding, they go hand in hand. They will preserve you. They will keep you. They will keep you from starting off down the wrong path. And they will also reveal to you how to get back onto the right path if you find yourself on the wrong path. Wisdom lights the way in a lot of dark places. Wisdom gives you an instinctual knowledge and it gets deeper and deeper the longer you live and the wiser you become. It gives you an instinctual knowledge of things that you either should pursue or should avoid at all costs because you've seen what happens to others. So he says all of this and then he introduces us to wisdom as a woman crying aloud in the streets crying aloud for people passing by to hear her voice and come in and listen to her. This is the free gift of God that he offers to any that are interested and that want it in their lives. And I'll tell you what, make a few foolish decisions in life and pay some hard prices for it and you will learn to value wisdom. File bankruptcy once or twice. And you will learn to value wisdom when it comes to finances. Go through one or two uh, horrible divorces or something like that. And you will learn to value wisdom in choosing a mate. You know, Go go through some bad things. Go through some bad health problems that were the direct result of something that you did to bring it upon yourself and you will learn to value wisdom in the way that you live in the way that you drive perhaps or the things that you allow yourself to eat or drink something like that. So but if you learn wisdom if you learn wisdom now you can save yourself a world of heartache years down the line. A world of heartache. And sometimes the consequences of the lack of wisdom can haunt you for years. Better to just not go down those paths. So verse 24, wisdom continues talking, saying, "Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but ye have said at naught or nothing. ye have said at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me early, but they will not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. This is. Wisdom's warning to us. If she were indeed a woman standing out in the streets in the busy places, downtown by the courthouse, by the jail, downtown by the state capitol, by the library, in in the places of power, in the places of knowledge, in the places of commerce, outside the coffee shops that people so love to frequent. Wisdom standing out there calling to them. This is her warning to us. If you despise me, You're going to pay for it. If you despise my reproof, if you don't hear my voice, if you reject my counsels, I'm telling you this is wisdom saying I'm telling you it's going to come back around. It's going to bite you hard and it may be too late when it does. And when it does, this is wisdom talking. This isn't God. This isn't this isn't God prophesying necessarily. This is Solomon, Solomon, in the divine wisdom that God had given him, uh, speaking as though wisdom were a person, saying, "I will laugh at your calamity. If you set it not my counsel and reject my reproof and all of that, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh." Now that sounds kind of harsh, but here it is. What are we going to do with it? Now I don't want to find myself in that place in life where wisdom is laughing at me because I rejected her counsel. I don't want to find myself having gone so far down the wrong road that I only learn when it's too late and then I cannot find a way back onto the right road. And then, as she says here, they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. That's not the place that you want to find yourself in life, brothers and sisters. That's a terrible place to find yourself in life. Having rejected the wisdom that wise people tried to share with you, mothers, fathers, teachers of all kinds, whatever, even pastors. I can't not say that. OK, you don't want to find yourself in the wrong place where that's concerned, because it can be very, very painful to extract yourself from it. Very painful. For they, verse 29, they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised my reproof. And onward she goes. And then, well, let's go ahead and finish it up. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way. That's the warning. And they will be filled with their own devices. That's the warning. Because if you reject knowledge, if you reject wisdom, if you reject wise counsel, if you reject her reproof and the path that she seeks to set you on, then what happens is the bad decisions you make will come back. They'll bite you. They'll burn you. You will reap consequences that you will find yourself regretting. And sometimes even with bitter, bitter tears. So you're trying to scare us. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to scare anybody. The Lord laid this teaching on my heart over a week ago. We opened it up last Tuesday. We're continuing it tonight. Next week, we may be back in Matthew. But let's consider this, what he says. He says they shall eat the fruit of their own way and will be filled with their own devices for the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But, and here's the ray of hope. But whoso hearkeneth unto me, this is again, this is wisdom talking. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Let that sink in. This is the promise of wisdom. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. The fools that are talked about in the earlier voice in the earlier verses and those that refused wisdom and refused godly uh, counsel and all of that, they don't have that promise. They're not going to have that quiet from fear of evil. They're going to be consumed by fear of evil, especially as all of the bad seeds that they sowed, that they sowed come to fruition and they realize I made a mistake here and now I'm really paying for it. I made a mistake here and now I'm really paying for it. I made a mistake here and now I'm really paying for it. So someone might say, well, what if I sowed all those seeds before I ever came to the Lord and now I'm a Christian? Well, God is a helper and God is merciful and God gives wisdom and he gives it freely. And as we shared last week, he doesn't even jack you up for not having it when you come to him to ask for it. God, I need wisdom in my life. When our prayer is one of, I need wisdom in my life. Grant me wisdom. I've made foolish decisions in the past. I don't want to make foolish decisions in the present and in the future. Teach me wisdom, O Lord. Then we already know from James, the apostle, the brother of Jesus, he will give you wisdom. And he won't even make you feel bad about it while he's doing it. He won't even make you feel bad about it while he's doing it. He will give it to you. He will show it to you in Scripture. He will give it to you from the mouths of wise counselors. Sometimes from parents. Sometimes from complete strangers. Often from people you know and trust and love. He'll give wisdom. And then... If you're like one who has found yourself on a wrong path and you're trying to get up on the right one, He'll help you. He'll help you. Remember that God is not just in the business of saving souls, He's also in the business of saving lives. And He does it for His glory, He does it for love for His children, He does it for uh, for a number of good reasons, all of them good, all of them holy, all of them noble. But let's take this to heart tonight. We have wisdom crying in the street for us. We have her warning what happens if we reject her. But we have her promise. Oh, yes, we have her promise of what we gain if we embrace her. And so let's take that to heart tonight. Let it sink down deep into that instinctive level in our hearts and in our minds. And let's be wise and let's be wise together.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible Studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash CheyenneWY giving.